Well, good evening again. It's a pleasure to be back with you all at Christ Presbyterian Church. Um, I'm, I'm thankful to be in your presence again and to bring you the word. Um, if you have a Bible with you, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 5? Um, I know in your bulletin it says that we're looking at verses 1 through 10. Uh, I am making a change. I hope that's okay. We're going to look at also verses 11 and 12. Um, That is primarily where our sermon is going to be from today. Uh, On Sunday mornings at my church in Mayfield at Story Church, we are going through the Gospel of Matthew, and we've been in the Beatitudes for the last three weeks. And um, I gave the concluding message of this mini-series with them this morning And I reminded them, as I'm going to remind you now, that Jesus in the Beatitudes is building an argument. And so, unfortunately, you didn't hear my last two sermons. uh, And so I'm going to very quickly try to bring you up to speed. So the Beatitudes, this list of eight uh, blessings, um, we're going to read it in a minute, but I'll bring you up to speed. These lists of eight blessings, uh, they are not descriptions of eight different kinds of people who are blessed. Instead, this is a list of eight qualities or characteristics of the kind of person who is part of the kingdom of God. We see that at the beginning and the very end. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These are descriptions of those who have been born again into the kingdom of God. And the argument that Jesus has been building all along begins first with our relationship with him. He says, if you want to be the kind of person who is part of my kingdom, if you want to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, this is what needs to be true of you. You have to be poor in spirit. You have to take on a a posture of poverty before God that says, I am unable and incapable with my own abilities and strength to do anything before you. I am poor in my inner being. Secondly, Jesus says, not only do you have to be poor in spirit, you have to mourn your sin and the sin of the world. You have to recognize that not only are you unable to do anything, that the reason you are unable to do anything is that there is something deeply broken and wrong in your heart. And that is sin. You must mourn it. Third, Jesus says, you must be meek and gentle and humble. And from that posture of humility, look to the Lord and say, Lord, I cannot do what you've called me to do. You have to say like the Apostle Paul in Romans, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And for those who are poor in spirit, who mourn their sin, who are meek and turn to the Lord, They will hunger and thirst for his righteousness, and God will give it to them. That was two weeks ago. If you want to be blessed in this life, that's what needs to be true of you. 
Then he says, Blessed are the pure in heart. So after our vertical relationship with the Lord is established, we are to be people who engage with the world first. Sorry, not pure in heart. Blessed are the merciful. That we are to be merciful to one another, to help when there is need. And we're to be pure in heart. That means that our inner life and our outer life need to reflect one another, that we aren't living a duplicit life, but that we live with integrity in our relationships with one another. And then we are to be peacemakers, to go towards division, to go towards broken relationships, and to bring reconciliation. This is Jesus' argument. This, he says, is the way to a blessed life, the life of the kingdom of God. First, establish your relationship with him, and then second, allow that to flow through you in your relationship with others. Now, we come to verse 10, 11, and 12. And may I remind you that this is a list of blessings. Blessings and joy and happiness that transcend circumstances. The world offers us happiness and joy and a blessed life by its own definitions. Jesus here offers a different definition of a blessed life that transcends circumstances. Jesus is saying, if you want this blessed life, it it doesn't mean a comfortable life. It doesn't mean a life without trial. Nor does it mean uh, that if you have enough faith, you will overcome pain. No, Jesus is saying that there is a way of orienting your life around the kingdom of God. Orienting your life around him so that in the pain, in the trial, in the chaos, in whatever circumstance comes your way, you can be blessed. That is what the Beatitudes are about. Remember, Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.16 tells us, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is a list of how to experience the blessing of the Lord despite your circumstances. And so it is with that background that we come to verses 10, 11, and 12 that are slightly different than what has come before it. And so we're going to read these three verses, and I'll pray, and then we're going to dig into it. And if you want to take notes, or if you just want to know where I'm going in my sermon, I've got three points this evening. And they are as follows. In this passage, we see the promise of persecution, the source of persecution, and the blessing of persecution. We're going to see the promise of it, the source, where does it come from? And at the end, we're going to see how in the world can we be blessed in it. That's what we're going to see here. Would you follow along? Matthew 5, I'm just going to read verses 10, 11, and 12, knowing that Jesus is building this argument. 
Our Lord says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you even for difficult texts like this that awaken us to the realities of your kingdom. We pray now, Spirit, would you hold us close? Would you hold us close to your heart? as we wade through these waters, these difficult waters. And may we hold on to the truth of your love for us through Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. First, we see in this passage the promise of persecution. How many of you uh, grew up with the uh, Highlights Kids magazines as a kid? Or maybe you've got your own children with those. My kids get them, and we like to sit through uh, and, and look at those together. And their favorite pages and my favorite pages, because it's, it's, it's something that I can actually do, is the one in which there are two pictures side by side. They're very similar to one another. And yet it says, will you find the seven differences? And you have to circle them and find them. And as I do those activities with my kids, in my head, I'm singing the song. Maybe you know this one. One of these things is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong. That's just in my head. And perhaps as we're looking at this list of Beatitudes, we come to this last one the eighth one, and we think one of these is not like the other. One of these just doesn't belong. In a list of wonderful Christian virtues, things to aspire to and pursue, to be merciful, to be meek, to pursue peace, all wonderful things to devote your life to, we get to the end and Jesus says, and... Blessed are the persecuted. What? Why? Why blessed are the persecuted? But that's what Jesus is teaching. If you are persecuted, you are blessed. Blessed are the persecuted. And in this argument that he's building... What he's really teaching us is this. Persecution is to be true of every Christian in the same way that every Christian is expected to be poor in spirit. In the same way that every Christian is expected to be meek before the Lord, every Christian is expected to be persecuted. It is inevitable. Let me say this again. Just as Christians are to mourn their sin and to be pure in their hearts, 
so too are Christians to be persecuted. Persecution is promised to the Christian. It is inevitable. It is part of this list of things that are true of people, citizens of the kingdom of God. Jesus is not the only one that teaches this. Consider what Paul teaches his disciple Timothy in his letter to Timothy, the church planter. He says, everyone that lives a godly life in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Everyone. Or do you remember what the apostle Peter taught the churches of Asia Minor? When he said, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Or consider what James says. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The biblical witness of the New Testament is clear on this point. Christians should not be surprised when we suffer persecution. We should expect it. If we follow Jesus, we will be persecuted. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, many of you might know who he is. He was a German Lutheran pastor and teacher in Nazi Germany during the Second World War. And during that time, he remained steadfast on the truth of the gospel and on the teachings of Jesus, despite a changing climate around him, despite an ever-increasing wicked government. He, He, in fact, actually set up an underground seminary so that he could train other pastors in order to remain faithful to the truth of the gospel during that time. Well, he was hunted down and caught, and he was arrested, and he was tortured. His family and his friends were threatened. He was thrown into a concentration camp, and eventually he was executed for his faith merely days before the concentration camp was liberated. This is a man who knew suffering because he followed Jesus. And in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he writes this. Suffering is the badge of true discipleship. The disciple is not above his master. Following Christ means passio passiva. Suffering because we have to suffer. 
Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ, and it is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. In fact, it is a joy and a token of his grace. Every Christian should expect persecution. It is inevitable. It is promised. If you follow Jesus, you will suffer persecution. Every author of the New Testament teaches that. Church history testifies to that. What about you? What about your life? Why in the Western church, especially in the American church, why do we not see more Christians persecuted. Sure, in in our history as a country, Christianity and, and the principles of Christianity have enjoyed to one degree or another a, a certain amount of acceptance and welcoming on the part of our government and our culture at large. Uh, yes, sure, I'll grant you that. But certainly times are changing. And throughout this whole history, there have been men and women in government, in our communities, in our lives, who are not Christians, who reject the gospel, who hate Jesus. Why then do we not see more persecution? One author put it as simply as this. There are two answers to that question. One Either the Bible is wrong. Jesus is wrong about it. Peter is wrong about it. Paul is wrong about it. Or we are not living the kind of faithful lives described here in the Beatitudes to the degree that Jesus is calling us to. I think that this is why Jesus concludes this list like this. In this list of descriptions of the kind of life that his followers are expected to embody, he concludes that list with a comment about persecution. I think Jesus wants us at the end of this list to look inward and ask ourselves honestly, am I living the kind of life that Jesus is calling me to? Do I face persecution for it? Friends, persecution is promised to those who follow Jesus. Let's turn now and ask why. What's the source of that? Where does it come from? These verses are often misunderstood or misapplied to one's life in ways that I don't think Jesus intended uh, us to apply it. He's talking about persecution. He's not talking about challenges in life in general. Jesus isn't saying, blessed are those who are going through a challenging season right now. He's not saying, blessed are those who live uncomfortable lives. He's not saying, blessed are those who face any kind of suffering 
who have any kind of unexpected problems come their way. No, he says, blessed are the persecuted. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be persecuted? It is to be the recipient of hurtful and often harmful actions on account of our faith. Think for a moment about the Apostle Paul, who before he followed Jesus, went by the name Saul. And he persecuted Christians. We read about it in the book of Acts, where he hunted down followers of Jesus. He hunted them down. He threatened them. He arrested them. He imprisoned them. He even executed them. Paul was a persecutor of Christians. He hunted them down. That's what it means to be hunted down, to receive hurtful and harmful actions because of our faith. But Jesus doesn't stop with persecution. He says, no, blessed also are you when others revile you and when others utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. That is to say, there are going to be times where we as Christians are misrepresented. There are going to be times when we are mocked for our faith. When we are made fun of. When we are judged to be archaic and backwards. When we are accused of doing evil things that we have never done. It didn't take long for that to be true. In 64 AD in Rome, the seat of the empire, Emperor Nero wanted to rebuild part of the city, but the Senate was blocking his plans. And so he thought, I'm going to set fire to the city and then I'll rebuild it however I want. And so he set fire and it burned down buildings and homes, and certainly men and women and children died because of him. And then he accused Christians for starting that fire. And he hunted them down, and he arrested them, and threw them into the Colosseum to be executed. Blessed are you when they utter all kinds of evil against you. We are going to become easy targets and we will be blamed for things that we did not do. But again, we need to go back and ask, for what reason are we going to be persecuted? Because we often get this wrong. Jesus is clear. He is not saying, blessed are you when others treat you poorly because you were offensive to them. He's not saying, blessed are you when your coworkers don't like working with you because you're a difficult person to work with. He's not saying, blessed are you when friends leave you because now you're judgmental towards them. 
He's not saying, blessed are you because you're blocked on Facebook because of your political causes. No, Jesus is saying, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake. And then in the parallel passage, blessed are you when you are persecuted on account of me. That is for Jesus sake. Blessed are you when you are persecuted because you follow Jesus. Because you look like Jesus. Because you live like Jesus. That is the only kind of persecution that is blessed. When we look like and live like Jesus. Here's an example that I think really applies to you as a church plant. Your goal, your marching orders from Jesus are to go and make disciples. And that means you have to evangelize. We can't just wait for non-Christians to wander into the church building to hear the gospel. We, every one of us, must evangelize. But how we evangelize matters. We cannot be offensive. We cannot be argumentative. We we cannot be rude or disrespectful. We have to be like Jesus. Because Jesus is already offensive enough. Let's not add to that. So when we're talking with non-Christians, we're to be good towards them. We're to endure their attacks and not retaliate. When we engage with them on questions of faith, when we have the opportunity to share with them the hope that we have in Christ, we are to do it with gentleness and respect like Jesus. When we share the gospel with non-Christians, the only thing that they should possibly be opposed to is the message of the gospel. Not us, not our attitude, not our demeanor towards them, not even our argumentation. We are to be gentle and respectful. The cross of Jesus is the aroma of life to those who are being saved and the aroma of death to those who are lost. We do not need to add to the offense of the cross by our own offensive tactics. No. We are to follow Jesus and be like Jesus and treat others like he treated them. He was gentle. A bruised reed he did not break, a smoldering wick he did not quench out. We are to do likewise. Let's recalibrate ourselves for a moment. Jesus is saying here in the Beatitudes that if you want to live the blessed life, if you want to experience joy that transcends circumstances, well, this is how you should live. This is what is true of a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, 
if you live like that, if you live like me, you're going to be persecuted. Why? Well, because Jesus was persecuted. If you live like him, what happened to him will happen to you. Jesus was persecuted. Why? Jesus is kind of like uh, a light that he turns on into the darkness. Um, if you're outside in the, uh, in the summer and you turn on a light, bugs flock to it, right? Jesus is kind of like a light. He showed his righteousness and there were some that flocked to him. They desired him and they came to him wanting what he had. There are other times, though, you turn on a light and there's other kinds of bugs that scatter, like cockroaches. They desperately want to be in the dark. And so they run from the light. That's what happened to Jesus, too. He came into the darkness of this world, showing his light, his righteousness. And many men and women who long to remain in the darkness with their sins hidden. They hated the light. They ran away from the light. They wanted to put the light to death. Friends, that's what living like Jesus does. We become beacons of light in our world. In our everyday actions, we show the light of Christ's righteousness. And for some, they will be drawn to that. And others will be repelled by it. Where do you see Christ's righteousness, the light of Christ, in your life? In your home and with your family? with your spouse and with your children? Where do you see Christ's likeness in the way that you conduct yourself at work? With your buddies on the weekend? Out on the green? Hanging out at the bar? Where do you see Christ in you? Or in other words, is your life different because of Christ? Do you embody the values of the kingdom? Or do you embody the values of the world? I think that much of Christianity, especially in the American church, has become so shallow that that light is hardly seen at all. You, you might object and say, well, you know, we aren't that different because our world has grown tolerant of us. They've grown accepting of us. And so we're really not that much different. I'm going to challenge you and say, I think it's the other way around. I think that we have too often grown far too tolerant of the world and of its values. The Beatitudes are a call to adopt kingdom values. And when we adopt the values of the kingdom, we will look different. We will think differently. 
We will talk differently. We will act differently. We will pursue different things. Look, persecution is this. It is the result of a clash between two value systems. If you are living in the kingdom, if you are growing like Christ, if you are following him, if you adopt his values of his kingdom, if you hunger and thirst for his righteousness, you are going to be persecuted for that very righteousness that you hunger and thirst for. It is at odds with the value of the world. That's where our persecution comes from. Now, let's look at the blessing of it. Let's look at how, if we live like this, then our lives are blessed. That's what Jesus says. If you live this way, you will be blessed. And he says, if you live like this, you're going to be persecuted. So how do they work? He assures us it's okay. If you live like this, yes, you will be persecuted. And yes, you are blessed. How can we, as he says, rejoice and be glad when we're persecuted? I I see four ways in this passage and in this beatitude section, four ways in which we can experience blessing that we can rejoice and be glad in the midst of our persecution that is promised to all of us. First, we are blessed in our persecution because persecution proves that we have genuine faith. Persecution proves that our faith is genuine. That's what verse 12 says. Talks about... uh, For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you, the true people of God who were following the Lord. They too were persecuted. So too will you. Remember, the apostles in the early church were arrested for their faith and put on trial, persecuted. When they were finally released, they rejoiced. Why? Because they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. It was evidence of their genuine faith. Friends, we can be blessed in persecution because persecution proves that our faith is real. But second, we can also be blessed in persecution because persecution guarantees our future inheritance. It is the guarantee that one day we will inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's what verse 12 says again, for your reward in heaven is great. When we're persecuted, we will lose many things in this life on account of our faith. Some of us will lose our reputation. Some of us will lose our careers. Maybe some of us will lose relationships with those we love. Maybe even some of us will lose our life. But remember what Jesus taught us. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up my cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, 
but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. Did you catch that? Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Friends, nothing we lose in this life on account of righteousness sake will be forgotten. And in the age to come, we will be abundantly blessed beyond our imaginations. We are blessed in persecution because persecution is the guarantee of our future inheritance. Third, we are blessed in our persecution because persecution is evidence that the Spirit of God is working in our lives. If we're persecuted because we are adopting kingdom values, that is evidence that the Spirit is in our lives creating those values in us. The more the Spirit works in our lives, the more we'll adopt kingdom values, the more clashing there will be between us and the world, the more persecution will come. Persecution is evidence that the Spirit of God is in you and is working in your life. Finally, we are blessed in our persecution because persecution is a reminder that we are united to Christ. That we are united to Christ. In John 15, on the night uh, in which Jesus was betrayed, he's teaching his disciples one last time, and he tells them, if they persecute me, they will persecute you. Why? Because you are united to me. And I to you. Where I go, you will go too. What happens to me will happen to you. But take heart. On the other side of persecution, on the other side of the cross, is resurrection and life everlasting. If we join him in his sufferings, we will join him in his resurrection and his exaltation. We are blessed when we are persecuted because it is a reminder that we are united to Jesus and one day we will be reunited with him in his kingdom for all time. Eight years ago, ISIS executed 21 Christian men from Egypt on the beaches of Libya. Their mass executor stood in all black behind the men who knelt in a line wearing orange jumpsuits. After the Islamic State released a video of their murders, the images of that massacre of Coptic Christians reverberated around the world. Maybe you are picturing it in your own head now. It's indelible. While this particular act of violence caught the attention of millions around the world, Egyptian Christians have long experienced persecution. And the Archbishop of the Coptic Orthodox Church said this in response. The interesting thing is this. 
we live with persecution with a sense of resilience. We have never fallen into a state of victimhood or triumphalism. We realize that this is the way of the cross of Christ. It's not the end of the road because there is a resurrection that comes after the cross and the empty tomb. And so it is in that hope that we continue to live. And it is in that hope that we continue to carry that cross, knowing that one day it will be removed from us. Friends, brothers, and sisters, we are blessed in our persecution because he lives. Because he lives, we can rejoice and be glad in the face of whatever may come our way. Because he lives, even though one day we may die for our faith. Because he lives, we will live with him in glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We, we thank you that you love us enough to give us this word for many of us before persecution arrives. We thank you that you've given us this word before it arrives so that when it does arrive, we may persist through it. Held in your hands, we thank you that you love us enough to give us this reminder that whatever may come our way, we are blessed because we are united to Jesus. I pray now, Spirit, would you work in our lives? Would you reveal our sin that we are trying to hide from the light of Christ? Would you reveal the ways in which we are not living with kingdom values? Lord, would you show us the ways in which we are being offensive and judgmental and difficult and challenging to be around others? And Lord, would you humble us that we might confess that? Lord, above all, would you give us a spirit that we may know that we are blessed? This is true blessing, true joy, true happiness. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.